This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 23rd, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. The DEA is working to quickly, and if they can, quietly ban a plant called Kratom. There haven't been any clinical studies of the plant, but it has shown promise at helping people with opioid and other addictions. Andrew Turner is a veteran who suffers from post-traumatic stress. He's a former guard at Guantanamo Bay and a current user of Kratom. He'd like to see it stay legal. We spoke last week. Kratom is a is it's a tree. It's the way you get it here in the U.S. is a, is a crushed leaf, powdered form, but it starts out in on a tree in Southeast Asia. There's farmers in Indonesia and Malaysia and Vietnam that pick the leaves, dry them out, break them down into their natural form of you know as just a powdered or crushed leaf form, so you can make it into a tea and ship it over here to the U.S. It's in the, the the trees in the same family as the coffee tree, but it's not exactly the same. It's in it's a similar tree to that. So in traditional medicine, it's been used for uh, some time, and it, but it's people just chewing the leaves like Th- a, like thousands a co- of years, like a coca leaf. Yes, sir. So what what what's the difference between you take that and turn it into a powder? Well, so because it's got to be imported. Here to the U.S., the 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 natural form typically seems to break down to where it doesn't over time. Like when they ship it over here, uh, it just doesn't have the advantage of being able to pick it off the tree and chew it like you could if you were in Indonesia or Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And so they have to dry it. They found they've had to dry it and break it down into this form so people can actually consume it. All right. So what? Has the DEA done with respect to this drug, and and why do you believe they've done what they've done? So, at the beginning of September, the DEA put out a proposal for a ban to make kratom from completely legal to a Schedule One substance, along with heroin, marijuana, LSD, and said it has no medicinal benefit. So we're going to ban it. And, and at the time, most of us didn't even realize how big of a movement of people out here in America are consuming Kratom in one form or another, either in tea or just in its dried form. And, and there was just this public backlash. You know, there was, we, there was a group of us that had, had off and on been kind of smaller activists working at the state level to keep states from banning it, you know, and maybe putting some type of regulations like age limits in place for purchase, but not outright banning it. And, and it, they've been pretty successful. So a, it started with a, uh, a march at the White House. There was about 400 of us out there. Several of us spoke. Then that snowballed and into a, a YouTube and Twitter movement. And next thing you know, the media kind of was looking around and saying, hey, what, what, what is Kratom and where are all these people coming from? You know, and doctors and, and scientists that have been researching Kratom were stepping up saying, you can't do this. You can't stop our research. We actually are looking into it. And it looks like there's a lot, even with anecdotal evidence, there's tens of thousands of people saying, this is helping me with, with having an overall sense of well-being. All right. So what, who uses Kratom? And uh, what do they use it for? Yeah, you know, it's it's the the who 
anybody. It could be anyone. And I and even I didn't realize the extent of that until the day we had a march the first week of September at the White House and I looked around and there was opiate addicts and there was former heroin addicts and there was you know people that had been addicted to pharmaceutical medications and there was people like myself that deal with with service related PTSD and chronic pain and I mean it was just amazing the amount of people that take it for to where it helps them manage other issues that are going on in their life you know with physical and mental health all right so some people have used it to step down off of opiates right so what you know what what kind of numbers do you do you sense there are out there for people who've been able to sort of because that's obviously a very difficult addiction to to break sure um you know it's it's so initially no one really knew how many people had tried Kratom. And it was kind of everybody that I've talked to, you know, online, in person, on the phone that have taken Kratom, they all kind of went, I, I only thought I was the one. I thought there was only a few of us and it was some kind of quiet thing. But but the last count from from the the botan- Botanical Education Alliance, who is, is, they work with a lot of the vendors here in America to... Uh, Make sure there's some kind of standards out there for what's coming in, and making sure they're protecting the the consumer, like myself, um, from sales numbers. Just in the last eight to ten years, they're talking three to five million people in America. And this is again, and the numbers are telling them this: the sales numbers from the vendors, three to five million people in America have tried kratom for one reason or another. And, and it's just amazing the thousands of people that are talking about having been heroin addicts, having been prescription opiate addicts. And now, especially at this time when we're talking so much about opiate addiction and the, and the deaths that are happening in fentanyl and carfentanil and all these other things on the street that are so bad, the DEA out of nowhere wants to ban Kratom. And their claim is there was 15 deaths. That's it, 15. Not this year, not in three years, just 15 here in America. And when it comes out about it, 14 of those had other things in their system that do cause respiratory distress and would have killed these people. None of this made any sense. So one of the things that's important to note about moving a a drug or a chemical from uh, legal status to Schedule One is that the research does become virtually impossible without specific dispensation from the DEA. Right. So, what happens now for research? So, um, not long ago, I was on a, a press call with uh, Dr. Andrew Krugel from Columbia, um, who's got probably one of the the, the most up to date current research people out there. He's working with a team from the Kettering Cancer Institute. And even they said they would have to stop researching Kratom because just to have it in the forms they did because they extracted certain alkaloids out of the, out of the plant material, just to have it in, in that way, they would have to install a $10,000 safe right off the bat in each lab that they're keeping these substances in. And that doesn't mean that they get a permit to study it. That's the start. For every lab that they're studying it in, they have to have that safe. Then from there, they have to find an approved vendor, but the DEA doesn't have any. 
then they have because you can't grow this in America. This isn't like marijuana where you know they could grow it in greenhouses. This is something where we for any kind of a viable crop, maybe Hawaii, maybe Guam, maybe Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, but it's got to be a very warm, very humid, and, and somewhat windy environment, it seems like, to get the alkaloids to where they sit right in this plant. And it's not just one or two, it's 20 plus alkaloids kind of coming together in a symbiotic nature to do what they do. And they don't know enough about it, but they've even, you know, on that press call, one of the one of these doctors, there's a research scientist, and they said, you know, this could be, we could be on the edge of the holy grail for pain management, and the DEA wants to stop that completely. This seems to be a similar story to what happened with uh, LSD in the 1960s. That was a uh, chemical that went from being completely legal and was used in uh, research to being a Schedule One drug. It's similar to pot in the sense that the, the only research that it, that was allowed to be done was extremely limited. There were a few people in the United States who were allowed to have marijuana legally with a federal license. And with MDMA, ecstasy, which is, uh, as a research matter, has shown remarkable promise for treating people with PTSD uh, and other things. And it, it, to, I'm trying to put the best spin on it from the DEA's perspective, which is, Let's crack down on it first and then go through this fairly long process of seeing what this drug is actually capable of doing for people who are suffering. This is really the first big time they've used emergency scheduling like they did for a plant. Back in 84, the Crime Control Act changed the Controlled Substances Act to allow emergency scheduling to be put in place. Emergency scheduling means Virtually, they can ban it overnight. They don't have to take any public comment. They don't have to listen to anyone. And then after the fact, they can issue permits if they want to. And if you can prove that you meet all, you can jump through all the hoops required. And if you can't, then at the end of two years, they can then come up and say, well, nobody's done any research. Hey, Congress, ban it now. Make it permanent. Let's get rid of it. And that's what's happened a lot of times. But now we're in an even bigger situation that Congress, the president, all, all the heads of these agencies keep coming and saying, we've got to do something about this opiate problem. And then they've got something staring them right in the face that people are saying, you know, and not one or two. And granted, a lot of this is anecdotal evidence. You know, I made videos for YouTube just to show people my conditions when I don't take Kratom for an extended period of time. What happens? Talk about that. Well, I deal with a I deal with PTSD from my service. I deal with chronic pain from degenerative disc disease, but I deal with a, a fairly rare movement disorder called Maze syndrome. Maze syndrome causes dystonias in my face and neck, and over a period of time, they will flare up so bad, kind of in conjunction with my anxiety issues from PTSD with my pain, that it gets to the point where I look like a bobblehead doll. My jaw will extend to a point where I can't barely speak. And I lose the ability to speak. And that's, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a good-looking guy, but I've got a great voice, and I've always been able to speak and talk about things. And I love to talk to friends and neighbors. And, and you know, and at some point, I plan to, to even run for city council in one of the towns right outside of D.C. And to not be able to speak for a period of time, and it went for several months at one point when I was going through uh, doctor's care at the VA, 
where I I could barely make functional words because of the 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 dystonias, the ticks in my face and jaw were so severe that it, it was almost just seizing my face. And kratom helps. Surprisingly, it does. It 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 doesn't fix things. It doesn't cure anything. It it just it it helps with my anxiety. It helps with my pain. It makes everything a little more manageable. I still have pain every day. It's not like I I don't take kratom multiple times in a day. I take it in the morning when my pain is most severe, and it and I take kind of a slower acting strain of the plant that kind of makes me comfortable throughout the day, and because of that help with the anxiety and and the pain. My ticks kind of went away. They're not. They're still there. I still feel the spasms in my face and my neck. My jaw will move a little bit, but it, I can actually control it. Whereas I couldn't. I, I had no control over it before. And and you know, if 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 I get off kratom for an extended period, because every month I stop for four days and I and I do a cleanse and I and I just kind of make sure that because I also don't want to you know. There is risks with it. There, there is people that have had withdrawal issues with it. There is addiction issues. That, that happens with anything we ingest that you can have some risks. But with this, the benefit for me outweighs the risks immensely. And as long as I'm careful with it and I act responsibly about it, you know, I, 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 get, I get so much benefit in my life, whereas all the prescription medica- medications I was taking for extended period they were just all the side effects. I wasn't getting any benefits. Assume that the DEA is going to move ahead with scheduling, putting it on the schedule somewhere. Uh, where should they schedule it in your view? I, they shouldn't. Because if you schedule it, it's done in America because we, the pharmaceutical companies don't want anything to do with it. So what do we do? It's because it, to be on the schedule between two and five is going to require somebody to market it as a drug that they can prescribe out. But the pharmaceutical companies don't want that. They don't want it. They've, pat- they've got a couple patents for a couple of the alkaloids, but they haven't been able to develop any kind of a, a, a something that they can put out there and run through the FDA process. And so at this point, if they go to schedule it, it's done in America. It's, it's gone. For all intents and purposes, I'll have to go across the border to Canada where it's completely legal still. So at any at any level, the DEA's involvement pretty much at any level takes it out of circulation for people who need it. Well, you know, like like something like say years ago, pseudoephedrine was a huge issue, and instead of putting it on the controlled substances schedule, they said, "Hey, we need to do some regulations. Let's make sure the vendors that are selling it are licensed in a certain way. Let's make sure that the product's tested. Let's make sure there's an age limit. You know, they do the same thing with anything." That people can make, uh, you know, methamphetamines from. There, there's regulations that the DEA and FDA can can shoot for. The DEA and FDA could go to Congress and say, "Help us create lead," because Congress was ready. There was 50 members of the the House that signed a letter to tell Chuck Rosenberg stop. There was over 10 members of the Senate that created Dear Cog that that helped us get this stopped, open up a public comment period, and pursue. A better route. And they could go to Congress and say, you know what, we could fix this. We could do something better. Let's 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 create some type of legislation, you know, that that can address something like this, a plant, because the emergency scheduling was built, even the congressmen that, that had created it in the 80s, it was for analogs. It was for stuff that could be changed so quickly that they had to battle it quickly. You can't change Kratom 
overnight. You know, it takes, for a commercially viable crop, it takes 30 to 50 years to grow. And, and that's another scary part is, you know, they talk about all, all the slash and burn going on in Indonesia and in Malaysia for the palm oil industry. Well, that's what's going to happen when the kratom plants are gone and, and the American market dries up. There, a lot of those farmers are going to go in and just cut that down. And next thing you know, that's palm oil, too. And it, there's, they're not understanding that this affects so many people in so many places in a weird way over this simple arbitrary thing that makes absolutely no sense. But it might make sense to somebody. There may be somebody that's benefiting by a Kratom ban. Andrew Turner is an activist, a veteran with post-traumatic stress, a former guard at Guantanamo Bay, and a current user of Kratom, which he'd prefer to see remain legal. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.